Well, we are in week two of our three-week series uh, dealing with the issue of gratitude and discovering to uh, live a life, live a habit of gratitude. That's our goal in this series is we want to develop a habit of gratitude and thankfulness. And so I want to begin this morning. Uh, we're actually going to look at two passages to kind of open up our message this morning. And so we went here last week, and I mentioned to you before that I'd like to kind of use this as maybe our base text or our starting point uh, for this series. And so if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I pray that you do, open to First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, whether on your device or in print, uh, you're going to notice in the seats around you, there are some, some Bibles right there in the seats. If you want to use one of those and pull one of those out, you're welcome to do so. And you can just turn actually to page 834. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 834, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And again, we kind of opened up last week with this series. And so if you missed last week, you weren't with us, uh, you can go online to our website, northgoodland.org. You can go on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store. All of our messages are there. You can go and access last week's message and be able to watch that back and obviously kind of catch up to where we covered last week. So we're just going to kind of use the text that we started with last week as our base text, as I just said, and we'll kind of start there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. And again, simple uh, affirmation here from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's writing to believers. And he's giving them some of these simple words of encouragement, some, some encouraging admonitions to kind of endeavor to, to live these out. And again, we, we only can live these things out because we're in Christ. If we try to do these things to have a relationship with Christ, then we think, because I do these things, therefore God will love me more or show me favor or welcome me into heaven. We've, we've reversed the order. It has to be that we've received Christ our personal Lord and Savior by faith through grace and out of that relationship now these things can be present in our lives and so first Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 in everything man if you wish that didn't say every say amen I can amen that I wish that didn't say every I wish that didn't say in everything but the Bible says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We discovered last week that thankfulness is a choice of submitting to God's will. That thankfulness is actually a choice that we make of submitting to God's will. So the question is, are we submitting? Are we submitting to God's will? In everything are we giving thanks? And we unpacked last week how we can see that happen in our lives. We, we emphasized, and so just for context, if you go one verse up, I don't think it's by accident that the Apostle Paul writes in verse 17 that we are to pray without ceasing. And we said last week that a consistent and diligent and active prayer life will create in us a heart and a mind that is thankful in everything. Now, does that mean we're never going to struggle, that we're, we're never going to doubt, we're never going to have times of, of grief or discouragement? Of course not. We, we always will have those as human beings. But, but generally, consistently, we will see habit of gratitude in our lives more consistently than a habit of complaining. And so this means that we desire to be thankful in all things, not merely in the things that we deem good or beneficial. 
So often we want to be thankful for the things that we see as beneficial, but the Bible says, no, no, even in those things that you don't quite understand how to be thankful in these areas, you can be thankful for them. And so again, it's a choice we make every single day as followers of Christ to submit ourselves to his will and say, Lord, I want to follow your will in this area and be thankful. So the question we have to ask is, and you don't have to answer out loud, is how are you doing this week? How did you do this week? How, how did you do, as we talked last week about beginning this journey, how did you do? Did you find yourself being thankful this week when those opportunities arose? Did you find yourself giving thanks when you're at the crossroads of kind of choosing between giving thanks or complaining? I'll, I'll be honest with you, this week there were some victories and there were some failures. I had some moments where I was, Lord, I'm so thankful for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. And there's other moments where I was like, Lord, Really? And if I'm being honest, every time I complained, I'm pretty sure I was behind the wheel of the car. I, I, think that's, I think that's where I struggled the most with being thankful this week was when I was driving somewhere. But if you answered yes, that you did actually choose complaining, let me encourage you with something. There is grace. There is grace that today we can start anew. We can begin again today and say, Lord, help me to develop this habit of gratitude, to be thankful in the things that I go through in this life. I also have to ask, how are you doing on your homework? So last week we gave you some homework. We said, I wanted you guys to begin to create a list of things that you're thankful for, but not just a list of things you're thankful for, but to connect it to a biblical principle about why or how that thing glorifies God. And so I hope you've been working on that or at least thinking through that. Again, maybe you won't write out a physical list, but if you do, that's awesome. But maybe begin thinking about, Lord, not only what am I thankful for, but how is that thing or what I'm thankful for, that person or that relationship, how does that glorify you? How does that promote you and edify you, not just benefit me? You see, there are many ways to express thankfulness. There's many ways to say thank you or that you're thankful for something. Through our words and our actions, we express gratitude. This morning, as again, we're in week two of this three-week series, we'll finish this up next week, so I pray that you'll join us for that. Um, but this morning, we're going to be talking about that worship is an expression of our gratitude. That worship is an expression of our gratitude. Now, Ephesians chapter five, so we're going to go back a few books here uh, to in the New Testament. So go back a couple of books here to Ephesians chapter five, and again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you're just going to go back to page 826. So go back just a few pages. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. So again, we're, we're, we're wanting to understand that, that worship, when we praise the Lord, when we worship him, and which, by the way, doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings, amen? It's more than just this. It's, it's also times that during the week that we spend with him, when we're in our Bible study time, when we're praying, when we're just worshiping him in our vehicle as we're driving somewhere, which I needed to do more this week because, again, the issue I just talked about. So pray for your pastor. But whatever it is, we're, we're expressing gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord when we worship him. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul, again, writing to a local church. This is the church at Ephesus. This is a local body of believers. And he says this. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we thank you for this morning. I know that we've already prayed many times this morning, Lord, but I pray that we would know that this is what it's all about. It's about drawing close to you in worship of song, preaching of your word, the application of your word. But Lord, also as we pray together as a body of believers, as we come together as the church, prayer is so vital. And so I pray that when we come together and we express prayer together as the church, that it's not just here that we find ourselves doing this, but it's an extension of a personal prayer life, time that we've spent with you through the week. And, and now corporately, as we gather together, we get to do this. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we open our hearts and minds to you, that you would do what needs to be done. My words are fleeting. My words are unable to deal with the matters of the hearts, the matters of the the issues that people go through day to day. Some in this room, Lord, have had the best week of their life. Some have had the most difficult week of their life. And my words, my opinions, my abilities cannot deal with those things. But you, by the working of your Holy Spirit, can deal intricately and intimately with each one of those things that people are going through. So, Lord, if they're here worshiping and praising you because it's been a great week, I pray that they would know you receive that in Christ. But also, Lord, for the one that's struggling this morning, They've had a tough week, a difficult week, a, a week of either tragedy or sorrow or grief, or there's confusion at the workplace. There's something going on in the relationships. There's just something. I pray that they would know. They can bring that and lay that before you as well in Christ and that you will lift them up. That we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest in Christ Jesus who is able to understand the limitations and the weaknesses of our heart and mind. And because of that, we come boldly before your throne this morning and we ask for the mercy and the grace that you say you will give at the proper time. So Lord, would you do what needs to be done? Draw those that need to be drawn unto repentance by the work of your spirit, that you come to know Christ and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be with those who know Christ but are struggling this week, struggling this morning, Lord, in some way to be thankful, to be submitted to your will. Would you draw them unto that decision to give them the strength to do that by your grace? And thank you, Lord, for your grace and love and mercy, which invites all of us into a deeper relationship with you, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've already done on the cross. And so we thank you for dying for us, for burying, being buried and rising again, all so that we might have a relationship with you. As you say in your word in John chapter 14, that where you are, we may be also. And so thank you for that salvation guarantee. I pray that you'd be glorified. Affirm these words in our hearts and minds. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you, as you were reading there in Ephesians chapter 5, did you see it? Did you see the connection to last week? Did you catch the connection to 1 Thessalonians? He says this, verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding. So don't, don't be ignorant of this fact. You need to know something. You need to understand something. He says, what the will of the Lord is. So now, last week we said this, so many people, Lord, what is your will for my life? Lord, do I marry so-and-so? Do I move to such and such a place? Do I take that job? Do I do this? Do I do that? Lord, I just want to know your will. And yet oftentimes when scripture lays out clearly, hey, church, this is the will of God for you. 
1 Thessalonians 5, to be thankful in all things, we go, eh, that's the will of God for somebody else when they're going through good times. But obviously that can't really apply to me when I'm going through what I'm going through. The Lord would never expect me to be thankful in this season. And so we say, Lord, if you just show me your will, and then he shows us his will clearly, and we kind of, I don't know, we make it situational, we make it conditional, we make it emotional. I'll follow the Lord's will today because I feel like following his will. We said this a couple weeks ago in our Sunday evening study, kind of going through the book of Daniel and, and talking about developing strong convictions in a world that does not have strong convictions in the things of God. And we talked about this idea that it's not an emotional decision that Christ is calling us to in our Christian life. It's a conviction decision. If you have a conviction on something, you will do it faithfully. If it's emotional, you will do it inconsistently. If you have a conviction to pray because God's word leads you into that, you love the Lord, you know he loves you, desire to express faith to him in prayer, and you're convicted by the spirit of God to pray, you will pray consistently. Not perfectly, but faithfully. But if you're emotionally based and you're thinking, well, I'll pray when I feel like it, you'll pray inconsistently. It'll be fleeting. It'll be up and down and here and there because that's human beings. That's us. That's us naturally. We're everywhere. (laughs) You ever feel like you're just riding a roller coaster emotionally through your week? If you have toddlers, you're like up here, down there, over there, and over here again, okay. We've all felt that way. When we have a conviction in what God's word actually says, no, your will says that if I will do this, it will lead to thankfulness. If it's a conviction, we will do it consistently and faithfully. We will not do it perfectly because we aren't able to do things perfectly, but we will do them consistently. And so here again, you see it right there. What is the will of the Lord? He goes on to tell us. We can understand what the will of the Lord is. Not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Doing what? As we're filled with the Spirit, we're giving thanks for all things. It says right there in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week some surveys and some research that has been done about the, the, the attitude of gratitude. Like when we're thankful, what that does for us physically, mentally, emotionally, it actually benefits us. I mentioned that the Mayo Clinic released a survey that basically said you will find yourself sleeping better if you're more thankful. Your relationships will be better. Your, your attitude at work will be better. You'll find yourself less depressed or discouraged. There's all kinds of mental, emotional, and physical benefits to being thankful. And, and one of the things I found was interesting is that as they were talking about different things people are thankful for, we mentioned family and health and so on. But it was interesting that a lot of people, especially in the last probably five or six years, this number went up. And so they did a survey back, I believe it was 2016, and then they redid it again. I think it was like in 2021. And so they found that the the number one person or uh, deity that they are thankful for, uh, quite a large percentage of people said God. I'm thankful to God for my blessings, okay? That's the idea. In the last so many years, that number went a little different. The number of people thankful to God went down. The number of people thanking themselves went up. So research actually shows that among those between, I think it was 18 and like 35, that number of them that said, I'm thankful to God, went down. And in that age range, the number of them that said, I'm thankful for myself and what I've done went up. So we're thankful, but we're thankful to self. Look what I've done. Look the kingdom I've built. Look at all the success I've done. Look at how financially good I am. 
It's all about this. But what does Paul say? No, no, no. Here's the will of God. Are you ready? Be thankful for all things to God. Express your thanks to him. And how do we do that? Well, we do that through worship. So here we see this is an ongoing submission. This idea here in Ephesians 5. What is he talking about here? Being filled with the spirit. This is an ongoing submission of maturity and growth in the spirit. All believers, all followers of Christ, you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. All believers have the Spirit of God through salvation. If you want to jot it down, it's also in your notes. I haven't told you that you can take notes yet because I forgot to do that. So let me pause. You ever have one of those mornings where your mind's just somewhere else, okay? That was this morning. Anyway, in the app, there's an opportunity for you to take notes. If you'd like to take notes, you can do that. You can just go to media messages and then find today's date and you'll see the note outline if you'd like to take notes. And these verses, these passages, I believe are on there. But Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but tells us that all believers have the spirit of God through Christ. All believers are also sealed by the spirit in salvation. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. So all believers, all followers of Christ who have received Christ as Lord and Savior have the Spirit of God in the moment of salvation. You receive the Spirit, and that same Spirit seals you or guarantees your salvation until the day you are with Christ. So here, when Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, this is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. You have all of him. This is an ongoing maturing in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is you surrendering more of self to the spirit, giving more control over to the spirit. And so because of that, a lot of people take this passage and say, well, what Paul's saying is not to be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So don't fill yourself with wine, fill yourself with the spirit. And if you give yourself to the spirit and his control, don't give yourself to the control of alcohol. Some people even said when you're intoxicated, you don't have control of your decisions or your actions. Alcohol is controlling you. And I understand the application, and it's not a wrong application, but I think there's something a little bit more pointed in this passage. And and we studied this a couple, uh, I think it was last year, we went through this passage again. Here, Paul is actually writing to those that were Gentiles, that practiced pagan religion, and now they've come to Christ. And if you understand the Ephesian culture, they actually used alcohol in their worship, like to the point of drunkenness. Another translation, if you have a different translation, it might say, be not drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery. That's the the idea here. And so in the Ephesian culture, in their pagan religions, they would worship in these temples and they would just just get intoxicated. And they thought they were doing that in a way to worship their gods. And so Paul is actually having to teach them, no, 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 that's not appropriate worship for God. There's no need for that. We worship God in the spirits. And that's why the next few verses talk about expressions of worship. So he's telling the Gentiles, don't get drunk, don't get intoxicated, and then say, this is for Jesus. No, 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 that's not appropriate. Here, let the Spirit of God lead you into that deeper relationship, and then it's expressed in the Spirit through worship. Paul makes it clear that our worship is to be submitted to the Spirit, that, that that's our our understanding of worship. It's in the spirit. It's through the spirit. It's under the submission to the spirit. So as we understand worship as an expression of gratitude, I want us to understand that worship is filled with the spirit. 
Worship is filled with the Spirit. You see, biblical worship is grounded in the Word of God. Biblical worship is grounded in the Word of God. We worship God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 24 tells us that. Jesus says that to the woman at the well. And that truth that Jesus is referring to is found where? In the Word of God. We worship God in spirit. We worship him through what the word of God tells us is true of who God is. So many worship a God of their own creation. In our world today, so many worship a God in their own creation. Even in some churches today, there are things some churches sing about God or to God that do not reflect the truth of God, who he is, or what he has done for us. Some churches emphasize different aspects of God that the Bible doesn't affirm that. But because it's worship and because we're telling it to other people, it's about God and we're singing about God and we really feel it, we really mean it, somehow it's now okay because we just believe it's appropriate. We believe that this is who God is and we've completely missed the truth of God's word. And by the way, this has nothing to do with style of worship. I'm not talking about instruments or music. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about content. And I heard a speaker say recently, he was talking to somebody and they referenced another church. And they said, man, now that church knows how to worship. And so this guy went and he kind of heard some of their worship. And he went back to the person and he said, why do you think that? And they said, oh, because it just felt so worshipful. And he said, okay, but did you catch it was heretical? Did you catch it was false teaching about who Jesus is and what he's done? Did you catch that it was all about prosperity gospel or all about this, that, or the other thing? It wasn't even about this Jesus. But it sounds good and it looks good and it feels good. And so therefore... It must be true. We tend to think that anything we offer up in worship is approved of God because we deem it appropriate. However, we must strive to make sure that our worship in its content, again, we're talking about the meaning, the heart, the the emphasis in the worship. We must make sure that our worship is in agreement with the truth that he reveals to us in the word. You see, biblical worship is grounded in the word, not in your opinion or my opinion. It starts in the word. Like, like, is this a truth that's affirmed of God? Is this a truth that God's word says, this is true of me and my character and who I am? And then we acknowledge, okay, God, we're going to worship you back in that way. You see, biblical worship is grounded in the word, but also biblical worship is submitted to the gospel. Biblical worship is submitted to the gospel. We can sing and praise to him because we are in Christ. We can sing and praise and give praise to him because we are in Christ. Paul makes this abundantly clear. Let's go back to the text, Ephesians 5. It says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What does he say in verse 19? Speaking to yourselves. Another translation would say speaking to one another. So this is the idea of corporate worship. Speaking to yourself, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are just classifications of type of worship. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father. And how is all of that possible? Well, he tells us in verse 20. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a relationship here. It's in and through Christ that our worship is received. He does not, God does not receive our worship as we express thankfulness and praise to him through the mode of worship. He does not receive that 
because of how it sounds in the sense of if you're on key or off key. Amen? I praise God because I, I, I get on key every now and then. I'll never forget, I was in the sound booth one service, and, and this was years and years ago. And for some reason, Keith was with me in the sound booth. I don't remember why we both would have been in the sound booth at a service, but we were. And I remember maybe it was a special or something, and somebody was singing, and I started singing along to the song. Because I love singing in worship. I'm always singing. I always love worship. I sing down here. I just don't do it up here in front of y'all, despite what Vic wants me to do. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The Lord can do anything, but... Mm, okay, so... We were in the sound booth one day, and we're doing we're service going. I'm started singing, and all of a sudden, I'll never forget. He just, Keith just looks at me, and I'm like singing along. Like, What's going on? He said, "Do it again." I said, "Do what again?" He goes, "You just sang on key. Do it again." I said, okay, so I, I tried as best I could, and he just went, "Oh, you lost it. Never mind. It's gone. It's not gonna happen." I was never forget that look on his face. <gasps> do it. Do it again. You can do it again. And just that quick, it was gone. I don't even know. I didn't even know I was on key, so that's probably the starting problem right there. But God doesn't receive our worship because you're a good singer. Now, I should say this. I am so thankful for the musicians and the singers and those that lead us in worship here in our church. We are so blessed with talented individuals who use their gifts and talents for the Lord. Amen? I love all those that come and and lead us in worship and sing and all of that. Uh, I'm still, all week, I couldn't stop thinking about uh, Alex Flutterjohn singing Beulah Land last week. Is that special? Um, if you missed that, you need to go back and listen to that because that was amazing. He did an amazing job on that. And I love that. And I actually listened back to that at least once this last week because I was just like, man, it was so amazing to hear him sing that and, and deliver that worship that way. But your ability to sing does not make your worship acceptable to God. The only reason that God receives our worship as joyful in his ears is because it is transmitted and communicated through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That it is by the spirit, through the blood, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are his sons and daughters singing and making melody to him, praising him and glorifying him. Our thankfulness expressed through worship is only accepted because of Christ. This leads us to realize that, that worship is filled with the spirit. Again, And and there's just so many things that I've heard over the last 20 years or so that are being depicted as so-called worship or said this is worship or or whatever. And even to some extent where some have said, well, we know this isn't really Christian music and we know it's not really biblical, but we're doing this to help help the Holy Spirit out and get some people to understand what the message is about. Just to pause here, the Holy Spirit doesn't need your help. He doesn't. Now, he uses us because he wants to use us, but when you share Christ with somebody, he's working through you. The word is working through you. So our worship is at foremost and and foundational biblical. Why? Because everything we do is for Jesus. This is his church. This is founded on his gospel through his blood because of his grace. It's not about us primarily. But isn't isn't it amazing that we get to benefit from worship? It's all for him. But when we worship with an open heart and open mind, he does. He lifts our spirits. He he brings us joy. He he affirms the things that he says he will do by the work of the spirit. And so we are benefited from the worship that we participate in. Don't get me wrong. But primarily, worship is not for you. Worship is not for me. Worship is for the one we're worshiping. 
It's the one we're saying, your name deserves all worth and praise. Your name is valuable above everything else. It's you, Lord Jesus, that we come to worship. So worship is first filled with the Spirit. It's biblical when it's grounded in the Word and it's submitted to the Gospel. Worship is also filled with gratitude. I want to go to another passage. Uh, Paul recommends that psalms can be used in worship. And so let's go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 418. Don't you love it when I give you a bunch of numbers all at once? You're trying to find Psalm 418 right now. I know it. You're like, he just said Psalm 418. That's what I heard him say. Don't worry, your wife will correct you and she'll make sure you're where you need to be. Huh? Oh, poor Vic. He's like, Brenda's not here. What do I do? Just open the Bible to about the middle and you'll be fine. No one around you will know the difference. Okay, just pop it open. That looks to be about like Psalms, so we're good. Psalm 32, and again, page 418, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. It's an amazing Psalm. We're just going to kind of key in on those first two verses. Now, we need to understand that worship is filled with the Spirit and filled with gratitude. So Psalm 32, look at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. So worship is an expression of gratitude. Everything we do in worship is to express thankfulness to God. Why? We sing because we are happy. We sing and worship because we are happy. The word translated blessed in Psalm 32 is understood to mean happy or one who is happy. This is the same way that the word blessed is translated in the New Testament. When Jesus begins his sermon on the mount with the Beatitudes, that word blessed or blessed is the idea of happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the woman. According to Psalm 32, whose sins have been forgiven. Another translation says it this way. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. The psalmist tells us that those that have had their sins forgiven are happy. They no longer make excuses for their sin or lie about the state in their sin, their state in their sin. They confess and repent of the sin, are forgiven of the sin, and that brings happiness. Our happiness is not based in temporal circumstances, but our eternal standing before God in Christ, moving from guilty to innocent, from dead to alive. And that transition, that changing of our identity brings deep joy. And I know what you're thinking, but preacher, I'm not always happy. I don't always feel happy. That's fine. What it's saying is that deep-seated joy in Christ will never be taken away. And when circumstantial things come into your life that take away your momentary happiness, you remind yourself, okay, I'm not happy with this situation, but I'm thankful for what it's doing in my life. I'm thankful and grateful that it's refining my faith. It's developing in me a Christ-likeness. That's the whole point of Romans 8, that all things work together for good. So many people, I just don't know the good. What's the good? Is the good the promotion? Is the good the relationship? No, no, no. Read down. The good is he's going to conform you to the image of Christ. 
So we can be thankful in all things and submit to God's will in all things because he's conforming us to Christ through all things. He's making us more like Christ. I love what Matthew Henry writes about Psalm 32. And it's a longer quote, but I want to read this for us today. It says this. Our margin, now he's referring to the margin in the text, in his copy of God's word, the margin had a title or a heading over it. He says, our margin reads of Psalm 32, a Psalm of David giving instruction. He goes on to say this, and there is nothing in which we have more need of instruction than in the nature of true blessedness wherein it consists of and the way that leads to it. What is it consistent of and how do I get to this idea of true blessedness? What we must do that we may be happy. There are several things in which these verses instruct us. In general, we are taught that our happiness consists in the favor of God and not in the wealth of this world, in spiritual blessings and not in the good things of this world. World, He continues, blessed is the man whose iniquity is forgiven. The meaning is that this, or this is rather, the good of his blessedness. This is that fundamental privilege from which all other ingredients of his blessedness flow. How is it that we can live a life of gratitude? How is it that our worship can be full of thankfulness? Because we understand that we have been forgiven in Christ. And from that knowledge comes everything else we need to know to be thankful to God in all things. It is the foundation of our thankfulness. That our blessedness, our happiness, our joy comes from knowing our sins are forgiven. That nothing you can do can take that away. That nothing you've done brought that into your life. And so God in his grace has mercifully given you his forgiveness and his restoration. You see, we sing because we are happy in Christ. Which leads to realizing we sing because we are free. We sing because we are free. When we realize that we are set apart and set free from any and all bondage or weight that holds us down or holds us back, how can we do anything other than sing praises and rejoice in the Lord? I know you're thinking, but preacher, you really don't know. Like, it's just not my personality to sing. It's not my, my, my normal way. Like, when I'm in worship, I want to worship, but I'm not one who sings. Listen, I believe that as the body of Christ, regardless of how well you sing, we've already covered that, we need to praise him. So listen, if you're shy or fearful of someone around you thinking he doesn't sing very good or she doesn't sing very good, that doesn't mean anything to the Lord. He is not concerned with that. And so you shouldn't be concerned with that. Because you know why you sing? You don't sing to impress the person next to you. You sing to worship the God who saved you. And we praise him and we do that openly. No shame. Why? Because again, it's all for him. According to these verses, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, the Lord does not count moral errors against the believer who honestly and sincerely confesses them. This statement reminds the believer that they, that we, that you and I are justified. What does that mean? That our standing before God is as just as if we've never sinned at all. That you are forgiven and free. You have been lifted. All the burdens have been lifted from your shoulders of sin. 
Romans 3.24 affirms that believers are, quote, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7 attributes the blessings of forgiveness and acceptance to redemption, which only comes through the blood and grace of Christ. We are free from the power of sin. We are free from the penalty of sin, the eternal penalty for sin, separation from God. We are free from the prevalence of sinful decisions. Let me say that again. We are free from the power of sin. It has no power over you. You can be set free in Christ. And if you're in Christ, it has no power over you. You've been set free. The penalty of sin. You are with Christ forever in his heaven. You will not be separated from him in hell. And also, you've been set free from the prevalence of sinful decisions. What does that mean? That you have a choice in Christ. You don't have to just give in because it's your nature. No, no, no. In Christ, in his spirit, by his word, he can get us to a maturity where we will say, Lord, I choose you over this thing because this is crumbs on the floor. I want the feast. I want the table full of food. I want the satisfaction that that brings. I don't need these crumbs. The world's dribbling before me because that's trash. If I was really, really thirsty and I came across a mud puddle, I could drink a little water. Or I could just go get a bottle of clean, refreshing water. And see, that's what the, the grace of God brings. It's satisfaction. It's fulfillment. It's, it's deep pleasures in the things of God, not in the things of the world. I don't need to give in to sinful choices. I don't have just one choice because it's, quote, just who I am or how I've always been. No, no, no. We are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We have reason to praise because we are happy and free. Peter says this, and then we're going to close. Peter tells us this in his epistle in 1 Peter 1, 7 and 8. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. He's saying your faith is more valuable than the most valuable thing you can think of because it matters eternally. He says this. So that your, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. Are we tested by fire in this world? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what's the point? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, Christ, you love him. You have a relationship with Christ. You love him even though you've never seen him with your own physical eyes. Then he says this, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter says that while we may try and speak of the joy that resides within us in Christ, we cannot. Our words fall short. Another way to translate inexpressible would be unutterable. We can't even utter the words to communicate what Christ has done for us. And we try, we, I mean, there's been poets and, and people, musicians who have written beautiful songs for hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet, if we really are honest, it all falls a little short of fully saying and expressing how thankful we are for Christ and what he's done for us. But we sing anyway. We worship Anyway, we take the words that we do have and we say, Lord, I know these aren't going to make it exactly how it should be. I know this isn't going to communicate exactly what I want to say, but this is the best I got. And I give it to you and I sing and I praise and I shout and I lift your voice or lift my voice to you because you are worthy. 
that I have inexpressible joy. I rejoice with great joy. Why? Because everything we're pointing to is the glory of God. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him with my eyes, but I love him and I believe in him. And I trust in his word that he says that any who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me and and bow your heads in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we're so thankful. Because of what we just read in your word is true. But Lord, I know that in this world, there are many things that try to rob us of our joy. To make us complainers and not praisers. To to give us this attitude that we somehow just can't find anything to be thankful for. Lord, I know. I know that we've all gone through those seasons. I have. But your word is that lamp unto our feet that guides us and directs us into truth. And Lord, I pray that we would let truth rule over emotion. That we thank you and we praise you and we give worship to you even when we don't feel like it. And I I really believe that once we begin to conform our thinking and our hearts to your will and to your word, that through prayer and, and other things that we talked about last week, that we will see a thankfulness develop in us. That it'll become habitual. And again, why? For your glory. Lord, we cannot express through human words all that you did for us on the cross. But Lord, we want to we wanna praise you this morning. Here in just a little bit, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to honor and remember that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us. And that was so that we would have a relationship with you, a forgiveness of sin. And we can't express in words all that that means. But Lord, we want to take time this morning to, to model that, to live that out. And again, Lord, thank you for what you've done. May we sing like never before, as the song said, that our souls would worship in the deepest sense because of what you've done. And so, Lord, again, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond to what God is doing? Maybe right there in your seats, or maybe you'd like to come forward and pray. Maybe you want to come and prepare your heart for communion. You want to come and say, Lord, help me to be thankful this week. Maybe you want to come and praise him for what he's done and just giving his salvation to you. Whatever it is that God is doing, whatever you need to respond, may the spirit of God work that you would respond to him by faith as we worship him this morning.